Thank you, Pastor Jason. This is my wife, Evelyn. She's going to read the、uh, scripture in、uh, Korean, and I'm going to interpret it into English version. All right. This is the Word of God, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Deobiloyo, Nega Monjosun Gurene, Murut, Yesue, Hengashimio, Karachishigiri, Shizakashin Buto. 그의택하신사도들에게성령으로명하시고승천하신날까지의일을기록하였노라해받으신후에또한저희에게확실한많은증거로친히사심을나타내사40일동안저희에게보이시며하나님나라의일을말씀하시니라사도와같이모이사저희에게분부하여가라사대예루살렘을떠나지말고내게들은바아버지의약속하신것을기다리라요한은물로세례를베풀었으나너희는몇날이못되어성령으로세례를받으리라하셨느니라저희가모였을때에예수께묻자와가로되주께서이스라엘나라를회복하심이이때이니까하니가라사대때와기한은아버지께서자기의권한에두셨으니너희의알바아니요오직성령이너희에게임하시면너희가권능을받고예루살렘과온유대와사마리아와땅끝까지이르러내증인이되리라하시니라이말씀을마치시고저희보는데서올리워가시니구름이저를가리워보이지않게하더라올라가실때에제자들이자세히하늘을쳐다보고있는데흰옷입은두사람이저희곁에서서가로대갈릴리사람들아어찌하여서서하늘을쳐다보느냐너희가운데서하늘로올려오신이예수는하늘로가심을본그대로오시리라하였느니라And speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of, to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by, by them in the white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God. 
Amen. Thank you, Lise, for reading the passage for us. One of the things that we're uh, <clears throat> attempting to do every week as we go through the book of Acts is have, have a uh, reading of the passage that we're going over for that Sunday in a different language. Because so much of the book of Acts is really related to um, the gospel going forth to all nations. All nations. So thank you for reading for us this morning. Um, my name is John Fox, and I am the uh, uh, admin pastor at the church, one of the pastors. And I have a uh, couple things to go over with you before I start the sermon. Uh, but today we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, so go ahead and turn there if you'd like. A uh, few preliminary things here. Number one is I would like to thank Aaron. I did this in the first service, so he gets two thanks today. Uh, he's not here today. He is on vacation, but I'd like to thank Pastor Aaron for giving me the hottest Sunday of the year to preach. It's, um, uh, I guess, a dubious honor for uh, the Texan boy to be able to, to preach today. So it, it, it works. Yeah, it's the humidity that gets you. Right, this feels good compared to Houston. Um, also, I realized as I was preparing the message today that um, this is the very first time I'm getting to preach to you all in person. So I'm gl glad to be able to do that. Um, we moved up here in February, and uh, it was actually just two weeks later that COVID came and shut down everything. So uh, I have preached one time. At Sound City, and that was uh, streaming when my uh, only attendant was Aaron. And uh, so I can tell you this is better right now than just having a better preacher than me uh, critique me while I preach. So um, glad to be here with you this morning. And last, I just wanted to say a thank you to the church. Did this in the first service too, but um, it's really been a challenging time for our church and all sorts of churches. But despite the difficulty, I would say that um, it has been a source of confidence and joy for me that our church has just been so nimble uh, with all kinds of changes that we've made. Even this past week, we you know made the change from not RSVPing, given some new guidelines from the governor, to uh, to now just checking in when you show up. And uh, um, uh, a couple things, like Hannah said, with the bathroom, there's just constant changes week to week. It seems like, and it is a a great thing to have a church that's just willing to uh, trust and be nimble as we make those changes. So I just want to say thank you for that. Um, let me go ahead and pray, and I'll start off on Acts. Lord, thank you for your uh, your gospel to us. Thank you for how clear it is in the book of Acts. God, and I ask that we would walk away um, from this morning understanding to a deeper reality how great it is that you have sent your son Jesus to be our king, and uh, all that means for our lives. And I ask that in your son's name. Amen. So, the book of Acts. We will spend quite some time in the book of Acts as a church. We're slated to spend the next 10 months in the book of Acts. Okay, so all the way through May of next year, uh, maybe with some breaks here and there, you know, for Advent and other things, but we'll, we'll be in the book of Acts, and it's a big book. Uh, it's an important book. Acts is actually, if you didn't know it, the second of um, a two-part series by the gospel writer Luke. Luke writes the gospel, Luke, and then he writes the companion to it, which is 
Acts. And uh, we know that from the way it begins by him mentioning Theophilus in both books. Um, undoubtedly, Theophilus was the one to kind of bankroll the project. And so um, uh, Luke, being a doctor and a physician, he looks into very critically uh, with much attention all the things that happen concerning Jesus. And so we have that uh, copied in the Gospels and uh, the Gospel of Luke, but also in Acts. And if we were to uh, take out the book of Acts from the Bible, or you were to never read it or hear about it, um, you would be in some trouble. And that's because it is a major part of the redemptive story. It's a major part to what God has done in the world through his son and with the gospel. An analogy that might help you uh, think of it is this. Some of you probably uh, really love Star Wars. Okay, and some of you may have already geeked out just by me mentioning Star Wars. But um, there's been a number of Star Wars movies. You know, there's episodes uh, one to nine. And I, if I told you just to take the first uh, three episodes, you know, it's kind of the prequel set, and it gives you the history on uh, Anakin, Darth Vader, the Emperor, and all those things. But you were never to watch episode four and five the uh, A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, but then you just skipped from the first three to the sixth, which is The Return of the Jedi, arguably the best uh, movie in the whole, whole franchise, and and you, you saw Luke Skywalker step onto the scene, wielding a lightsaber, taking down Vader and the Empire, and also the Death Star. What is a Death Star? You know? Um, if, if you were to approach the Bible the same way, that's what would happen if you took out the book of Acts. There's all kinds of questions that crop up as soon as you skip over Acts. If you were just to read the Gospels, which are four different accounts of Jesus and his ministry, and then ju- jump straight to the epistles where um, all the real instruction about how to live in light of Jesus and who he is, uh, sits, then you would have some major, major questions. And uh, the questions would be something uh, probably similar to these. Why are the apostles and believers so bold in the face of persecution and death? You see that happen in the uh, epistles with, uh, like Peter's epistles, writing to the churches to say, uh, undergo just suffering in light of God. You can do it. Or what happened to the Apostle James? He's a key figure. And uh, in the Gospels, he's there with Jesus every day. In the Epistles, he's nowhere. Who is Paul? Paul's not mentioned anywhere in the Gospels. Nowhere. Who is he? Where did he come from? He writes the majority of the Epistles. How does that happen? What is Christianity and what, did, what does it believe? In... in uh, Acts, we get the first time that the word, the term Christians is used. Before that, we don't know. How, how did this religion take over the known world in a matter of decades? You see, in, in the Gospels, Jesus comes as a, um, as a poor peasant carpenter in an obscure area in the Roman Empire, Galilee, and then if you just jump over Acts, what you have is epistles centering on this Jesus. 
he's seemingly uh, crucified and risen, but in the epistles, there are uh, cult worship practices. There are little little communities of faith all over the Roman Empire in the known world that are celebrating and singing and worshiping this Jesus character. How did that happen? Acts is the story that answers all those questions. So Acts is really important for us, and uh, we'll learn a whole lot in it as a church. And uh, another thing about Acts is it's not just uh, theoretical. It's not just a a historical lesson in the background, but it actually connects with you today. You are here today because um, you heard about the gospel. You heard about the church. You had somebody mentor you in the faith. You heard and believed the gospel. Somebody you don't know told you, hey, there's this church over here. You should go check it out. All of those things happened because somebody before us planted the gospel. Somebody before me, before you, before anyone here shared the gospel. And that gospel made us all the way from Jerusalem, as we'll see, and here in the first part of Acts, all the way to this lawn this morning, as hot as it is. So uh, Acts is really something that we'll see as we get into it. It's, it's very practical. Now, we are related with so many saints before us in the past through it. So that's the uh, uh, little bit of an overview of the book of Acts, but there's, there's different takes on what the central purpose is. So I'm saying that if Acts is such an important book, uh, an important question would be, well, what is the main point of the book, right? And uh, there are different takes on this. One of the ways that people talk about this is to say um, you modify the name, okay? So it's the acts of who or whom. And uh, people land on different answers here. Scholars and theologians all across will say different things. Um, one answer is that acts is the acts of the apostles. And we see that early on in Acts that uh, the apostles are our major, major figures in the book of Acts. They're with Jesus. They get his instructions. They go out. They they uh, tell people about who he is. And so a lot of people say, well, no, it's the Acts of the Apostles. That's how you can think about the core purpose. Other people say, no, it's actually the Acts of the Witnesses more broadly because you have other people in there like Stephen, the martyr. You have Philip, um, the deacon. And so you have other people. So just the Witnesses. Still other Scholars say, no, it's actually the acts of the Holy Spirit. And we see this pretty strongly even in the first few verses that Jesus says he'll send his Holy Spirit, right? So this is the Holy Spirit that's moving people along, and uh, we won't get into it much, but the uh, the strategy for Jesus' kingdom here is to uh, do it in sort of expanding circles. So at first there's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And as that goes out, the Holy Spirit is always the one that does something miraculous, does something unprecedented each time we move into another kind of phase or circle of the gospel going out. So some people say it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. And then others still say, no, um, those are good answers, but it's really the acts of the word. It's the acts of the word. The word described in acts is often a very causal agent for why things happen the way they do. Um, And... And if I can uh, just channel my inner Aaron Gray, then I think the answer is to all of it, yes, right? Yes, 
All of these are good and right and true answers, but the better way that we could think about it, just the, the highest way we could think about it is this is a book about the acts of God. This is God's involvement with mankind and what he's doing in the world and how Jesus is ruling from heaven. So these are the acts of God. And uh, Daryl Bach, who is apparently um, a uh, professor of uh, Pastor Shane's, heading on to you, Pastor Shane, um, I'm quoting him here. He has the same, uh, same perspective, and he writes this, that God acts constantly in acts. In the distribution of the Spirit in Acts 2, in miraculous activity through the apostles in Acts 3, in judgment in Acts 5, in the vindication of Stephen in Acts 7, in leading Philip in Acts 8, in Saul's conversion in Acts 9, in taking Peter to Cornelius in Acts 10, in calling for missionary uh, calling for mission by Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, and empowering them throughout the mission, and guiding the church at the council in Acts 15, and leading Paul in mission in Acts 16 and 19, and empowering Paul in his work in Acts 16 to 21, and imp- protecting Paul as he heads to Rome in Acts 27 to 28. God is Savior in Acts. And so as we look at the book of Acts here, this is something we need to keep in mind. All of those things are true. All of those things are good. Acts of the apostles, the witnesses, the Holy Spirit, the word, yes. But God is the prime mover here. He is the one orchestrating everything and doing everything. And so we see that God is at work in Acts. And I think uh, one of the most important questions we could, we could ask from that point then is, what are the acts that God does in Acts, right? And, and there's all sorts of them, but the very first one we see in verses 1 through 11, and that is the ascension, the ascension. And that's what we're going to um, continue on here for the rest of the sermon today, focusing in on the ascension. As Luke records what happened in the early church, what he does is he puts forward, um, and this is... Total strategy from Jesus here. Uh, But he puts forward the main thing that needed to happen before everything else in the book of Acts happens. And that is the ascension. It is, uh, if you want to think about it, the first domino that knocks over all the other dominoes in the book of Acts. And so um, as we look at that, look at the ascension this morning, I want to pull out one main point for us. And it's this, that Jesus is king. Ascended and enthroned. That's what this first section of Acts is talking about. Jesus is king, ascended and enthroned. And I do get bonus points for using uh, Kanye's record as my sermon point. And sermon point. Jesus is king. And there are, there are a number of important things about the ascension, but we see three things here in the text, conveniently. Uh, and I'll go over them with you. First is the ascension intensifies a clash of kingdoms. Second, the ascension marks the Holy Spirit's coming. And third, the ascension ensures the descension. The ascension ensures the descension. So first, uh, the first reason that the ascension really matters for us is that it intensifies a clash of kingdoms. Now for you, probably like me, um, I did not grow up hearing much about the ascension. 
I grew up hearing a whole lot about the incarnation. I think everybody in church world and knows anything about church knows, yes, the incarnation, Jesus coming wrapped in flesh as a baby. Second uh, would be the uh, sufferings of Jesus, his trials, you know. And third would be his crucifixion. And then fourth would be his resurrection, right? Those are all really key points throughout the uh, church calendar and are celebrated greatly, and rightly so. But at the same time, uh, there's an element of the gospel we have here that um, if we miss it, all of the others are not completed. They're not secured. And that is the ascension. You see, if Jesus came as a man, and lived a perfect sinless life for sinners, and he suffered in their stead, and he died on the cross to forgive them of their sin, and he rose for their justification from the dead, none of that works without the ascension. If Jesus doesn't actually ascend to his throne on high to rule all things, it all doesn't come together. And so that's why Luke begins... um, the book of Acts with the ascension. And in this ascension, we, we have marked out for us a, a contrast, a stark contrast of two kingdoms. And you may want to think about it in terms of the cosmic kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God, which Jesus spends his time talking about. And then there's the kingdom of the, uh, the world or the darkness or the kingdom of the devil. The Bible has a number of ways to talk about it. And so in the ascension here, uh, we, we see a couple things about the kingdom. It's a repeated phrase, if you didn't notice. And uh, the first thing that we see, as Jesus mentions it um, in verse 3, is that he's talking about the kingdom of God to his disciples constantly. Okay, so before Jesus dies in the Gospels, what is the message? Behold the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what Jesus is saying all the time in his earthly ministry. Not, behold, the penal substitutionary atonement is at hand. He says, behold, the kingdom is at hand. It's the greatest way that we could talk about God's rule. Life with God under the rule of God. This kingdom where where all of God's policies, if you want to say that, are enforced and are coming alive and are obeyed. This is the kingdom of God. It's entering into human history with him. And Jesus talks about this all the time in his earthly ministry, but even afterward, what we see here at the beginning of Acts is Jesus, after his resurrection, stays around talking with his disciples for 40 days. 40 days. And he has one thing to talk about in 40 days. The kingdom. It permeates his thinking. He has one agenda. He is singularly focused on the kingdom. And just as an aside for us, as I was studying it, you know, I thought, man, how much of my like daily thought life is preoccupied with the kingdom? Like Jesus, you know, we, we have another uh, presidential election this year and people have, I think a lot of their mental space put towards the new president. And that's, that's good. That's okay to be involved in politics and think about um, how to honor God in the, in the country that we live in. 
But my question is this. Does, does the level of preoccupation that this year's presidential election hold in your mind at least, at least equate to the same level as the kingdom? It's something to consider. Um, and it's something that could, it should shock us out of the way that we're thinking. Are we thinking merely in earthly terms or in heavenly terms? And that is also uh, the same problem, by the way, if you're feeling bad at this point, the same problem that the uh, disciples have. And we see that in verse 6. So the first thing that we see here is that the, the agenda is to, uh, Jesus' agenda is to bring the kingdom of God on earth. He talks about it all the time. But then we also see that the disciples, they bring this up and they completely misunderstand it, don't they? In verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And so the, the disciples have uh, a, an overly simplistic view of the kingdom. What they think is Jesus is all-powerful, no question about that, came back from the dead, so kudos to him. Um, when are you going to to destroy the Roman Empire and put us back on top and, uh, you know, we can be at the center of commerce and the economy and um, the political scene. When is that going to happen, Jesus? And Jesus, of course, doesn't answer that question. He says, don't worry about that. Worry about the work that you have to do. And so we see that the disciples have a misunderstanding about the kingdom. And this is the same misunderstanding that we can easily have. When, when um, uh, It's hard to always see into your own culture and the, the kind of water you swim in. But uh, as, as an American consumer-driven culture, all of us have tendencies and areas of our lives where we set up our own kingdoms where we figure out how we can make ourselves the most comfortable. Not the comfort in itself is wrong, but we figure out how to build our kingdom, how to make the world about us. And in some ways, I think that's what's happening with the apostles here, the disciples. They, they have an overly simplistic understanding of the kingdom. They don't understand. This, this entire thing is really about Jesus. And more than just their tribalism will let them think. So we see that even in this misunderstanding of the kingdom, Jesus comes in and says there's, there's a clash happening. There's a clash happening between some of what you're thinking and certainly a lot of what the kingdom of darkness is, is promoting right now. So uh, the ascension here, it intensifies this clash of kingdoms. It defines them. It, it contrasts them. There is no middle ground. Jesus is saying, you are either a part of my kingdom or you are not a part of my kingdom. And, and so much of this shapes the book of Acts that we have uh, to get into. Very clearly, there's a light and a darkness. And the ascension matters because it helps us understand that distinction. Not only that, second point for this morning, the ascension matters because it marks the Holy Spirit's coming. Okay, the ascension marks the Holy Spirit's coming. And we see this uh, a few different times, even in this passage. Again, the repetition should catch our eye. The first time is in verse 2. 
where um, it says that Jesus had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. Jesus had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. Here's what that means. The apostles and the disciples overall, they could not understand what Jesus was saying apart from the Holy Spirit. This shouldn't really shock us when we look into the Gospels. We read almost every contribution by the disciples uh, lines up with this. When, when people are asking Jesus, hey, what, what does this parable mean about the loaves and the fish? Or what does the parable mean about the tax collector? Or what, like, what, what is going on here? Um, he will turn and ask his disciples, do you understand? Every time they say, yeah, yeah, we get it. We understand. We know. Yeah. And then Jesus says, but seriously, like, do you understand? And they're like, no, we don't actually. It was pretty confusing when we were out there. We didn't want to ask in front of everybody. But now it's just us. Like, wh- what were you talking about? Um, that is what happens without the Holy Spirit. And that is what ha- is happening right now as they're having that conversation. Jesus is talking about the kingdom and it still just goes right over their heads. We need the Spirit. The Spirit is necessary for our instruction as believers. Second thing we see here about the Spirit is the Spirit is necessary for our animation. Believers in Jesus are people who are supposed to be filled with the Spirit, Paul tells us in Ephesians 5. Filled with the Spirit. And um, when he says that, he says, don't get drunk on wine, Ephesians 5.18, which leads to reckless actions, but contrast, be filled with the Spirit. What uh, Paul is talking about when he talks about the relying on the Holy Spirit like that, he says, have you ever seen a drunk person? Have you ever seen the way they almost uh, seem animated by what they're taking in? Their intoxication. They just, they're like a different person. Paul takes that and turns it to say, that's what your life should be like as believers with the Spirit. That's how much the Spirit should, should rule your life, that the words that you're saying, the actions you're doing, are all guided by the Holy Spirit. So we see the Spirit is necessary for our animation as well. And then in verse 8, it says that, uh, um, yeah, being baptized, then verse 8 says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power. It's not just understanding what Jesus is saying, and it's not just doing what Jesus is saying that is at issue here. It's also the continuation, the continued obedience. The Spirit is necessary for our continuation in the Christian life. To receive power from the Holy Spirit means this is not stopping. This force is not slowing down. It will continue on, and we see that in the book of Acts. All the time, believers in Jesus, this new Christian community, are characterized by people saying, I don't know what they're talking about, but those people have power. When, when the apostles stand before the Sanhedrin, and they have to give an account of what's going on, then what is the response from the, the, uh, the Jewish community, the Jewish hierarchy? These are untrained men, but they're talking like this. We can't deny that. That's power. And so in the Christian life, when we kind of hone down and think about it, 
uh, in a very detailed way. I found this so encouraging this week. Anything that you do as a believer, you do because of this verse. When you get up and you read your Bible or you pray or you try to share the gospel or you uh, counsel with someone, anything that's good in you, this, is, this verse is the reason. The Holy Spirit comes with power. It's not due to our own ingenuity, our intellect, our uh, logic horsepower. No, anything good that we do is because the Spirit is at work in us. And so you should be encouraged. Jesus is at work in you through his Spirit to change you. So the ascension, it matters not only because of the, uh, the clash of kingdoms that we see, but also the Holy Spirit's coming. The Spirit has work to do, and he will do it in us. And praise God, that will be a work that doesn't rely on us. Third and last point is that the ascension in, ensures the descension. The ascension ensures the descension. And we see that in verse 11. It says that they said, that's the angels who respond to the disciples, men of Galilee, why do you stand, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. I can't think about this, this uh, section of scripture without thinking about how the disciples would have felt. So to put yourself in, uh, in their shoes for a second, imagine that the, uh, the man, the God-man, that you have spent the last three and a half years of your life with, who's uh, cooked you food, taught you theology les- lessons in the desert, um, has uh, prayed over you, has cried with you, has lived life with you, says, I'm going to leave now. There's a fair amount of sadness, I think, for the disciples in this. And we see this even before he's crucified and resurrected, that they're, they're grieved at heart. What do you mean you're going to leave? So he says it again now. And of course, it's better for him to go because we receive the Spirit. And uh, the Spirit can be with all believers. But nonetheless, they're, they're really wrestling with a number of emotions right now, I imagine. For me, the thing that triggered this was actually thinking about uh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings at the very end, if you're a, a Tolkien fan. At the very end, uh, you know, they've, uh, they've saved the day, surprise ending, the evil, evil uh, force has been defeated, and now some of the party are going to split, go off to the Grey Havens, which is essentially kind of the heavenly realm, and uh, then some are going to stay. And as they're parting ways at the end of the book, you see them all lined up. You see Gandalf, you see Frodo, you see Bilbo, and there are the final goodbyes. And they're about to sail off, and people will never see them again. I imagine that's some of what's going on with the disciples here. That they're, they're sad, they're confused, they have all sorts of emotions going around. But Jesus' main comfort to them, and the angel's main comfort to them, is he's going to return. In the same way that you see him go, he's coming back. And the only reason that he could come back is if he goes. Because Jesus ascended, that means that he will descend. He will come back. And I love the way that uh, 
Daryl Bach also thinks about this. His view of the end times as he reads the book of Acts is, is this. He says, Luke's view of the end is simple. It will come. It will come. I love that. I love thinking about that. That's, that is, for Luke, kind of the picture. Like, it's going to come. Jesus has won the war, since been defeated. His people will be resurrected. There will be life. The battle is won. Now everyone must know about this new king. Everyone must go and tell. And so Luke's perspective is, it will come. I love that. He continues on, with it will come an accounting that Jesus will perform the, on behalf of God. This is the flip side of God's role as creator. God is also judge. All are responsible to God, and he will give an account to God. When the Lord will come is not a matter of concern for believers. Their task is the mission. And so the same for us. The, our task is not, when will Jesus come back? Our task is, have you heard about this king? Have you heard about this king? There is a new king in the universe. Jesus is king. He is ascended. He is enthroned. And you must know about him. And for us, the idea of a, a king or kingship may be a bit removed. But I think we all understand the concept. That as a king would take over a kingdom, what would happen is there would be this tremendous ceremony. Right? And all it would be a huge party. Free drinks for everybody. Free food for everybody. Music. Where's the music? Turn it up. It would be the event of a lifetime to be a part of the uh, enthronement and the ascendance of a new king. It would be something that you talk about for generations. And that's what's happening here in Acts. And as Jesus ascends, there's, there's one key difference between an earthly king and Jesus, though. As Jesus ascends, he does not ascend just to the highest seat in the room, does he? It's not like Jesus needed to have somebody make him a throne or Jesus said, you know what? What's the center of power in the world? I'll sit there. Or where's the highest point in the world? Jesus, Jesus did not say, I'll sit on the top of Dubai's tallest tower. That's not what he's aiming for, is it? The huge difference with Jesus is that he says, I will ascend and my ascension is to heaven. My throne is above all. That's the point. There's no authority. There's no power. There's, there's nothing above what Jesus says or does. He is the king. And there's another thing about uh, ascension or enthronement kind of ceremonies in the Old Testament that we see. We, we see the kind of uh, ceremony with David for sure, all the celebrating and, and uh, commemorating and all that. But there's one thing I didn't tell you. In the Old Testament, whenever a new king is enthroned and enshrined, there is a tremendous amount of blood that is shed. When a new king takes the throne, there's an enormous amount of livestock that has to be sacrificed. Why? Because as God's people represent God in the Old Testament and obey his rules, they see no one, not even this king, is worthy to be called God. Nobody, not even the king, has the same status, has the same power. 
before God. And the only way that we can get to God is by all the blood that we shed on this day and this week and this month as the sacrifices would go on and on and on. Jesus is not like this. For Jesus, as the eternal king enthroned, ascended, he does not need sacrifices for his service. For the celebration here in Acts, there's not a call out to the apostles, go grab the, grab the calf, grab the sheep. There's none of that. And the reason is because when Jesus ascends, he ascends as his own sacrifice. He enters onto the throne to rule God's people, not, not, not by virtue of other blood, but by his own blood that he shed on the cross. And so this makes Jesus uniquely qualified to be our king. Before the incarnation, before man, before the earth, before anything, God ruled and reigned over all things. And then he creates, and he still rules and reigns. And he creates man, and he still rules and reigns. But in the ascension, what we see is that Jesus took on flesh and rules, not just as eternal God, but as eternal God-man. And so we can come to him, and we can be his subjects because he has drawn near to us. And the incredible thing about the the New Testament in the book of Acts later on that we'll get to is, is that Jesus is not just king. The insane, the insane idea related to Jesus as king is Jesus is our brother. Jesus is our brother. Absolutely incredible. You, ha- you have a king that is virtually untouchable and he's our brother because he makes himself so, so accessible to us. And so today, just as we close, I want, to, uh, I want to encourage you, remain, if nothing else, Jesus is king, ascended and enthroned. And as we see that truth, we see that he has power and authority over all things. He is the one we can go directly to. He knows all of our needs through the Holy Spirit. And we are to live our lives every day in a way that we think about his kingdom, think about the advancement of his government on the earth. And one day he will come and he will reward his subjects and he will condemn those who are not his subjects who say, I do not bow the knee to Jesus. My life is about myself. And so if that's you, I encourage you, think, watch, come to the rest of Acts and see all the witnesses that pop up that say, this king is like no king you have ever heard of. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for his kingship. God, we thank you that even now, you call us to live in a way that is honest and humble and under his rule. God, we ask for the uh, guidance of your Holy Spirit, that we may know and love and serve our King, and we may much of Him and uh, follow Him all of our lives. We ask in your name. Amen.